All right, let's take our Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to Acts chapter number 2. As you open your Bibles there, I'm looking forward to getting back in the regular schedule. Sunday mornings we'll be uh, dealing with Acts, Sunday evening with the book of Genesis, and then uh, soon we'll be returning to the book of Proverbs uh, for our uh, midweek uh, prayer meeting and Bible study. So Acts chapter number 2, if you turn there, we are concerned about the church. And particularly in answering this question, are we like the believers described in the book of Acts? And particularly when we find what happened to about 3,000 people in Jerusalem at the Feast of Pentecost who trusted Christ as their Savior who became Christians. The same people who had cried out, crucify him, are the same people who became Christians. And we find that their lives have completely changed. And uh, we look at this church, and I believe that we must pattern ourselves after the first century church. We are not interested in 21st century Christianity. We have to be interested in first century Christianity. And so in Acts chapter 2, notice verse 37, the Bible says, When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together and had all things common." and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. I would like to draw your attention to verse 42. We have looked at a number of items and perhaps the first that are mentioned right after these people had been saved, baptized, joined the church. What were they involved in? What did they do? And we noted first of all, first is mentioned they continued in the apostles' doctrine. Then the second thing we find is that they continued steadfastly in fellowship. And now the third uh, involvement that uh, was part of their life, the life of the church, is, and they continue steadfastly in breaking of bread. And I want to preach this afternoon on continuing steadfastly in breaking of bread. Now, as I mentioned earlier, we are approaching our text by asking ourselves this one question Are we like the believers described in the book of Acts? And this question. I believe, forces us to come to a place of self-examination, but also of an examination of our church. 
Uh, what is it that the church needs today? Uh, what is it that this church um, was doing in Acts chapter 2? Uh, do we not need, uh, we, we do not need to come up with some new idea what the church is supposed to do or some new program. The only change that is needed has to be and always must be a return to the Word of God. Uh, when people talk about, well, we need a, a revival, I believe the revival we need is a revival back to God's Word. Uh, countless articles and blogs, as I mentioned last week, are being written about how to adapt the church to the 21st century. Videos, interviews are being recorded where men and women seek to convince their audiences in the things that must be changed in the local churches. And I mentioned last week that the language that is going on right now is that there needs to be an alignment in the 21st century where the churches have to align themselves to the culture. They have to become more relevant. Uh, they must uh, have facilities that are accommodating to all and all those things. And that is the thrust of the emphasis. But if there's any alignment needed, it is an alignment to the Word of God. Uh, what the church needs in the 21st century is not uh, to become relevant to the culture. Uh, but we have to have a revival back to the scriptures. The church will always make a fool of herself by trying to impress the culture. Uh, we are not commanded to be fools for the culture. We are commanded to be fools for Christ. Now when we come to Acts chapter 2, the local church is brought in focus and that's what happens. You know, there was the theme at the beginning of the year. Many churches did the 2020, right? Vision, have your 2020 vision. And they had the glasses, and that was the theme in a lot of churches. You know, the year 2020. And I thought, well, that truly is appropriate in the sense that if we get a clear vision of what the Scripture teaches, what was the church doing? And in that sense, I believe we have to have a 2020 vision when it comes to what we're supposed to do in the 21st century. What did this church do? What did they give their life to, their time to? Uh, these are the priorities that are mentioned in our text that we looked at in verse number 42. Number one, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And by the way, doctrine is first. Then number two, they continued in fellowship. We talked about fellowship as not just this idea of coming to church, shaking hands and leaving going home. Uh, as the idea of there's this communion, there's this bond, there's as Jesus expressed it, that when his disciples left him, he says, you that leave me, you forsook your father and mother and brother and sister, but uh, in this kingdom you've received a hundredfold. And he's talking about the family of believers in the world. Uh, and the third one that we find that is mentioned is they continued steadfastly in breaking of bread. And so we get here again another clear picture of the New Testament. We identify the third priority of continuing steadfastly in breaking bread. Now before we begin our study of this practice, as we see in the early church, we must get a clear understanding as to what exactly is the breaking of bread referring to. And let me put it first to you that there are two main ideas when people look at this passage, two main ideas as to what the breaking of bread is. The first idea is that many look at this expression of breaking of bread simply as a time that believers spend eating around the table together. Uh, they declare that in the Jewish culture, this breaking of bread represents their fellowship around the dinner table. They contend that the breaking of bread is no more than that. 
Now, I do not believe that that is the case. The second idea about what the breaking of bread is, is what I believe the breaking of bread that is mentioned in uh, verse 42 is a reference to the Lord's table. Uh, I give you a, a few reasons why I believe that, and let me work through them one at a time. First of all, the first reason why I believe that is, if this expression, breaking of bread, is not a reference to the Lord's table, then you do not find the ordinance of the Lord's table at all in the book of Acts. Um, in my estimation, it is inconceivable that the first century church ordinance would not be mentioned in Acts. And so if you think and to contend that this breaking of bread that is mentioned here in verse 42 is not talking about the Lord's table, then we would have to say that the Lord's table is not mentioned at all in the book of Acts. And to me it is inconceivable that the first century church would not practice it, or that it would not even be mentioned. Now the second reason is because the word fellowship precedes the practice of breaking of bread. Included in fellowship would be the place where believers would gather around the table for a regular meal. Uh, by mentioning this breaking of bread, there is a distinction that is made between fellowship and breaking of bread. Just as there is a distinction between doctrine and fellowship, just as there is a, dis a distinction between prayer and fellowship, in like manner, there is a distinction between breaking of bread and fellowship. All four are mentioned as distinct practices in the first century church. There is yet a third reason. And that is that we must consider that the author of Acts is the same as the gospel according to Luke. Now it is interesting that Luke referred to the practice of the Lord's table as instituted by Christ himself as the breaking of bread. Uh, there is no necessity for Luke to use a different expression in reference to the Lord's table. What I mean by that is some people say, well, if this was the Lord's table, then another expression would have been used there, such as communion or the Lord's table or the Lord's supper. Well, it's never been used before. As a matter of fact, the only person that mentions those expressions is Paul, who is not saved yet. Who, when he talks about communion, the Lord's table, and the Lord's supper... He does so by revelation of Jesus Christ. So it is inconceivable that Luke would use a, a new expression that's never been used, something that has not been taught by Christ. So as he wrote the, bo the, 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 uh, the book of Acts, he also wrote the gospel of Luke, and in Luke 22 he records the Lord's Supper. And notice what is mentioned in Luke 22:15, And he, that's Jesus, said unto them, uh, with desire, I have desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not, uh, not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this, and to divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I, shall, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took the bread and gave thanks and break it and gave it unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. And so when Luke uh, records this idea of the Lord's Supper that we call it today, he referred to it as a breaking of bread. That is the only expression that is familiar to the disciples. No expression has been used such as the Lord's Supper, or communion, or the Lord's Table by our Lord Himself. 
It is only used again by the Apostle Paul later. You see, the Apostle Paul is the one who gave those specific titles that we commonly use today about this ordinance. Uh, the uh, examples, let me give you a few of them. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. Uh, Paul writes and he says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the body of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? So there he uses the word communion in the, in the idea of breaking of bread. So he links this breaking of bread with the communion table. That is the first time that is done. It is not done in the Gospels. It is not done in the book of Acts. But there the breaking of bread by Paul is put in connection with this communion. Later in 1 Corinthians 10.21 he says, Ye cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot partake, uh, be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. So he referred to in that case as the Lord's table. And then there's another one in 1 Corinthians 11.20 when he says, When ye come together therefore into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. And so these, the three expressions that we commonly use today, such as communion, the Lord's Supper, and the Lord's Table, were all used by the Apostle Paul dating after when the book of Acts in Acts chapter 2 was written and the practice of the early Christians. So a lot of times people say, well, the breaking of bread just talks about them eating. and No, no, he makes a distinction. If you go back with me in Acts chapter number 2, he makes a further distinction be between this breaking of bread in verse 42 with the other type of breaking of bread which is found, if you would, in verse number 46 of the same chapter. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, there it is, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. And so there is this idea of breaking bread is the practice of fellowshipping around the table, but that is to be found in distinction as they were eating meat in that case. And the previous one is encompassed in the idea of doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Spiritual activities. And so when we think about the context and how it is used in the Bible, I believe that again, and to me the uh, first reason again would be uh, the most important one because if this idea of breaking of bread is not representative of the Lord's table, then it is not found at all in the book of Acts. Now with those things said, I want you to think about the family of practices that we found here in verse number 42. Again, the doctrine the fellowship and the breaking of bread. And I want you to think about what those practices do for us. If you would, doctrine settles us. Or if you would, it strengthens us. It helps us to grow in the faith. We think of fellowship. What does fellowship do? Fellowship encourages us. And the third one, the breaking of bread, I believe, humbles us. You see, all those are uh, part of the New Testament church where the church had to be settled and strengthened in doctrine, had to find encouragement and fellowship, but also had to continue in humility, and they did so through this breaking of bread. And we'll talk about uh, why that is such in this breaking of bread. I want to notice uh, four points quickly about this breaking of bread and uh, what does it do for us and why this is so important and what it communicates. And I believe the Apostle Paul is going to correct this record because it was obvious, but by the time the church at Corinth was a, a full-blown church, they had corrupted this practice. They had basically turned the breaking of bread practice into a feast. 
and uh, people were divided. Uh, the rich were eating with the rich, and they were sharing all their food and all their spoil, and the poor over there that had been in food were together and had lack. And there was this division going on in the church, and uh, there was corruption and sin and all those things. And Paul goes on later, and we'll look at that passage to uh, set the record straight concerning the Lord's table. And, but we notice several things. First of all, I want to notice as we think about this practice of the breaking of bread, and that is what we must be doing. We must continue steadfastly in breaking of bread. And in doing so, we notice number one, I believe that in doing so, our submission is pleasing to God. If you remember in Luke chapter 22, when the uh, uh, Lord's table was instituted, the Bible says He took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given to you. And He says this, This do in remembrance of me. Now, I want you to think when He says that, this do in remembrance of me, his body had not been broken yet, his blood had not been shed yet. So when he gives them the command of doing this in remembrance, he expects them to do that after his death. It had not happened yet, it is going to happen, and he gives them a picture of his sacrifice. But understand, when we do this breaking of bread, when we come to the Lord's table, why are we doing so? We are doing so, first of all, out of obedience of our Lord. He commanded us to do it, and therefore we must do it. Paul repeated that command in chapter number 11, verse 2. He says, Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things, and keep the ordinances as I deliver them to you. And so this idea of keeping is keep doing them. Don't neglect to do that. Uh, don't be delinquent in your obedience to our Lord. In chapter 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, Paul says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus the same night in which He was betrayed took bread. And so what He delivers to them, He says, I've received from the Lord. God commanding to, commanded me to pass this along to you, and what I am de delivering to you is that which I have received of the Lord. So us, partaking in the Lord's table and coming to the communion table, understand what that represents. It uh, demonstrates our submission, our obedience to God. There is uh, nothing, uh, perhaps, in the church uh, that is such an affront to God that the church will forsake the breaking of bread. Uh, in verse 24 of 1 Corinthians 11, uh, Paul repeats and he says, this is what the Lord said, this do in remembrance of me. He repeats again in verse 25, this do in remembrance of me. And so when we think about the Lord's table, why does the church do that? Uh, why should the church in the 21st century not forsake the breaking of bread in the Lord's table? Because the Lord commanded it. And he said not only to do this, but to do it until He comes. Until He comes again. And so this command again is to be uh, 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 propagated throughout the centuries, throughout church history, until the Lord comes again. It is in obedience to His command. It is our submission that is pleasing to Him. And we must uh, understand today, we ask ourselves today, you know, a lot of times people, they promote their church and they say, hey, uh, what do you do at your church? And then they list a bunch of things. Well, we have a, a park for the kids to play with during church. And we have uh, this activities there on Tuesdays and on Saturdays. We have a, uh, you know, and they describe all types of activities. And uh, I believe that if we would describe our church 
First Day Baptist Church. May our church be a biblical church. What do you do at your church? Well, we continue in doctrine. We study God's Word and we want to be settled in what the Word of God teaches. We want to be in fellowship with the believers and have this, uh, the, the, this communion, this fellowship with believers and, and we, we, we break the bread. We partake of the Lord's table. We remember what the Lord did for us. And we do that faithfully. That's what we do. Or at least that's what we should do. That's what the church ought to be doing. Well, why do you do that? Because we want to submit ourselves. And in doing so, we want to please the Lord. So our submission is pleasing to God. But number two, we see uh, when we partake of the Lord's table, when we come to this breaking of bread, our salvation is proclaimed. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you go with me, we'll see that uh, uh, so importantly as uh, 1 Corinthians, again, chapter number 11, if you turn there with me, the Apostle Paul goes through an explanation of uh, the Lord's table. Again, they had corrupted what was going on there uh, about the Lord's table, and he seeks to correct what, what had been going on. Notice in verse number 24, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, he says this, And when he had given thanks, he re again recounts the Lord, he break it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. Now I want to pause right here. Paul has said earlier in this chapter, The thing I delivered you, I've received from the Lord. Paul was not present in the upper room when, when uh, Jesus Christ instituted the Lord's Supper. So what Jesus Christ is communicating there through the Apostle Paul is by direct revelation from God. And so he says this is why, and amazingly it reflects the record of the Gospels and what had taken place there. And so we find here, he says, he break it, he said to E, this is my body which is broken for you, this do, and here it is, in remembrance of me. Verse 25 again, after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying this cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. In verse 26 he uses a different expression to talk about uh, the idea of the Lord's table. And he says, for as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. So when we think about this breaking of bread or coming to the Lord's table, what happens? Well, why do we do this? Because when we do this, our salvation is proclaimed. There is something that happens among us. We are remembering something. We are not only remembering something for ourselves, but we are also showing something to the world. There's really two things that happen. We remember ourselves and we show something to the world. We are declaring something. Well, the Bible is, gives us a pretty clear record as to what we should be remembering. Here, he says that the cup represents the blood that was shed for our sins. Uh, the bread that is broken represents the body of Christ that was broken. Uh, this is the, uh, he talks about verse 25, the cup is the New Testament in my blood. In verse number 24, he says the bread that he break. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And so we have the body of Christ that is broken and the uh, cup which is the uh, fruit of the vine, the blood that was shed for our sins. Galatians 3 at 1 tells us, Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. In Matthew, we'll go through scripture here in Matthew chapter 28 if you turn there with me. Uh, in the Word of God, in Matthew 28, or Matthew 20, excuse me. Matthew 20, 28, 
Jesus here again before his death said, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and here it is, and to give his life a ransom for many. And so Jesus Christ, even before his death, he announced that he came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, he explains what the Lord Jesus Christ did. Notice 2 Corinthians 5, we pick it up in verse number 19. The Bible says here, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. For He, that's God, hath made Him, that's Christ, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So we remember, again, what is it that took place when we think about, uh, we, we come to the Lord's table and we have the fruit of the vine and we have the bread and we uh, break it and it's there in small pieces. What, what, what does that signify? Do we just do this out of tradition? Do we think this somehow imparts to us some grace? Do we think it is uh, something that, uh, that wipes away our sin? What is it that we're doing? We are remembering something specific. We are remembering what Jesus Christ did for us. Uh, but uh, largely, we are remembering uh, the all-encompassing plan of God for re the redemption of man. In other words, our mind goes back from, not just in the cross and uh, Matthew in the last uh, chapters of the Gospels, we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, what was in the mind of God, what was in the plan of God. Uh, in Genesis chapter 3, when he mentioned that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. That's the plan of redemption, the plan of God. That is what we're remembering. And so our salvation is proclaimed as we partake in the Lord's table. If you go with me to 1 Peter, in the epistle of 1 Peter, we notice, look at a few passages there. 1 Peter chapter number 2, notice verse number 24. 1 Peter 2.24. The Bible says... Uh, let's go back to verse 22. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judged righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but now but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. If you go over to chapter number 1 of the same epistle, chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who... Verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times unto you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead, and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. And so we have this theme all throughout the New Testament epistles of this remembrance, if you would. 
What is it that we remember? What is it that we contend for? What is it that we proclaim up on the mountaintop for everybody to know? We proclaim the death of Christ, the plan of God of redemption for the sins of man. And so when we come to the Lord's table, it is one of the most important things we can do for us to remember what God did for us, but also to proclaim to the world what God did for them. You know, perhaps that is why the Apostle Peter said, we preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ. Uh, the emphasis was, I preach uh, nothing else but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And so as we think about the message of the church, I'll tell you, what, what, did the, what does a first century church look like? I'll tell you what it looked like. Whatever the, the messages proclaim, the practice of the church must speak of the same. What do I mean by that? Well, the preaching of the cross is what we proclaim. But what do we do in practice? What is another way, if you would, that we live our lives to show what the Lord did for us? It's by coming to the Lord's table. In other words, our practice matches our message. What we do in the church ought to match the message of redemption. And so we find that when we come to the Lord's table, our submission is pleasing to God, our salvation is proclaimed, but also thirdly, our communion is professed. Uh, if you go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, the Apostle Paul used uh, the expression of the breaking of bread with this truth about communion. And so when we come to the Lord's table, we often refer to it as communion. We do so because of uh, how Paul referred to this breaking of bread. And so if you go with me to 1 Corinthians 10, notice verse 16. <clears throat> Paul says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break. So see, linking the practice in the book of Acts. The breaking of bread. The bread which we break. We do this uh, consistently. Well, what does that represent? What is it about? Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Now, the word communion is an interesting word. It simply means this, uh, fellowship. Uh, it means that there is a, uh, well, if you think about relationships, generally speaking, uh, you can uh, be uh, married to your wife, to your spouse, and you can be married to your husband, and we understand that that is a relationship, and that relationship is there, and we understand in the sense that if you have an argument and you get upset with each other, uh, your fellowship may be broken, but you're still married. Right? Yes, nod your head. So make sure that we, we, we all have the base, same basic understanding about marriage. It is the same with our children. Uh, we may uh, have uh, differences with our children. There may be a time when there is a, uh, a severance in fellowship, but that doesn't change the relationship. They're still your children. And so in the same way, uh, we may not always have that communion with them, that fellowship with them, uh, and so we often would seek to reconcile that relationship, whether it be between a spouse, a husband and wife, or between a parent and a child, we seek to reconcile so that we can once again have fellowship. What happens when there's this division? You don't talk to each other anymore. Or if you do, it's short and it's kind of stern. But once the fellowship is 
uh, the fellowship returns, now there is there's kind of freedom in the conversation. There's a, an openness once again. There's communion. So although we are saved and our sins have been forgiven and they're never to be remembered again, we understand that our fellowship with God can be broken. And the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth before he goes to chapter number 11 and goes in detail about the Lord's table and he says that this bread that we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? That's what he represents. In other words, when we partake of the Lord's table, we are saying there's nothing between, as the song puts it, there's nothing between my soul and the Savior. Well, that's a big statement, isn't it? Nothing between us. If we go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, notice uh, as we work our way through this passage, let's pick it up in verse number 18. The Apostle Paul here is trying to explain the Lord's table and how they had corrupted and what, what they were doing. And notice in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 18, For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be manifest among you. When you come together therefore into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating every one taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses, that's verse 22, have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? Or, or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say unto you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. And so you see here, we know that this breaking of bread, this communion, is not the Lord's, uh, the, that is not this idea of, well, we come and we eat together. No, no. As a matter of fact, the church at Corinth had corrupted that practice and had turned it into a fellowship. And the Apostle Paul says, don't you have like houses to eat in? Like if you want to do a full-blown meal, don't, don't you do that at your house? Why are you coming to the church and saying that we're partaking of the Lord's Supper, but yet you're having this feast? He goes on to say, verse 23, For I have received of the Lord that which... Also I deliver unto you that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He brake it and said, Take, eat, this is My body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of Me. After the same manner also He took the cup when He had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in My blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of Me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till He come. Notice verse 27. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread... And drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. Why? Because they were partaking of the Lord's table unworthily. Verse 31, For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. You see, they were ignoring sin. And so, God dealt with sin. And here Paul says, If you had dealt with your own sin, God would not have to dealt with your sin. Verse 32, But when ye are Judge, ye are chastened of the Lord, that ye should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry for one another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home. That ye come not together unto condemnation, 
and the rest will I set in order when I come. So you see, the problem is that they were, their understanding of the communion table, the understanding of the Lord's table was this ideal. Hey, let's all come and, and, and feast together. And he says that's not appropriate. Uh, when you come together, you do so to remember the Lord's death. And uh, when you come to this table, what you're doing here is you're claiming or you're proclaiming that you have fellowship with Jesus Christ, that you have communion with Him, that there's nothing between you and Him. But when you come to this table, make sure above all else that you examine yourself that there is no sin, unrepentant sin in your life. Don't come to this place in an unworthy manner. And so when we come to the Lord's table, this breaking of bread, our communion with the Lord is professed. But there is yet one more thing that we notice, and that is, to review, our submission is pleasing, our salvation is proclaimed, our communion is professed, and lastly, our humility is preserved. If we go back to Acts chapter number 2, it is interesting to find the section in which the breaking of bread is found. Remember, doctrine is first. Uh, then this, this fellowship, doctrine for us to be settled, for us to be strengthened, this fellowship for us to be encouraged. But now we come to the breaking of bread, and I mentioned earlier that this breaking of bread humbles us. Doctrine strengthens, settles us. Fellowship encourages us. Breaking of bread humbles us. In Galatians chapter 6 verse 14, Paul writes and he says, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of Christ, of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. You see, there is nothing that so humbles us as to the coming to this table to this breaking of bread, to this communion table, to the Lord's Supper, when you think something of yourself, you tend to divide yourselves among others. But when you come to this table, you are humbled. Can any man come to the Lord's table and put his nose in the air and think himself to be something when he is nothing? Because that is what the table reminds us of. That we are nothing. You see, you think of him and what he did and endured. And I think we would all say, like Isaac Watts, if we truly come properly to this table, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. In other words, <laughs> there's no pride there if we uh, survey the wondrous cross. Can there be any ounce of self-satisfaction and pride and ambition when we come to the Lord's table and remember what He did for us? No. He goes on to say, Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast save in the, Christ, in the death of Christ my God. <laughs> in other words, there is, as Paul said, when we think about salvation, if you go back with me in uh, Romans, and turn with me there in, in Romans, <clears throat> in chapter number 3, he went on and 
If you remember in Romans chapter 2, he dealt with the religious people who thought to themselves, well, the gospel is good for the Gentiles, but we don't need it. As Jews, we have the law, we have the traditions, we have everything that we need. And uh, he goes on to tell them in Romans chapter 3 verse 9 that we've both proved that both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. And he goes on to tell them uh, that it is not about your righteousness, you are unrighteous, but... Uh, the gospel that reveals the righteousness of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Understand what Jesus Christ did for you. And he says, notice in verse number 26 of Romans chapter 3, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Notice verse 27. If we understand everything that he said. Where, where is boasting then? It is excluded. Uh, by what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. And so notice as he talks about this wonderful plan of redemption, this wonderful salvation that is, as he says in chapter 3, it is the righteousness of God. It is the remission of sin. Uh, Jesus Christ was the propitiation for our sins. As 1 John tells us, He was the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so he asks it. So if you think about this, where is boasting then? If we understand salvation, if we understand what Jesus Christ did for us, where is boasting? Tell me. There, there can be no boasting. It's, it's not possible. Why? Because what is salvation? Ephesians tell us in chapter number 1, we were the enemies of God. Aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. We were by nature the children of wrath. We lived in sin. Not only were we born with the natural inclination to do wrong, but even the law in our hearts uh, condemned us because when we knew of God's righteousness and God's standard, we, we still lived in unrighteousness and sin. And we, we love that better than righteousness. And that's how we lived our lives. We uh, shook our, fi our fists in the face of God and we uh, th thought to ourselves, well, we, we don't need God. We don't need His salvation. Uh, all, uh, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord hath laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Uh, Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, um, by His stripes we are healed. So, uh, one was bruised, but yet he did not deserve the bruising. The one who received the stripe did not deserve the stripes. Who was it that deserved the stripe? It was us. It was us. Uh, we deserve to die in our sin. We deserve the wrath of God. Uh, we deserve the, the wrath of God that is to be poured out that as we lived our lives, the longer we lived our life, the higher uh, the wrath of God was mounting against us and yet His mercy kept getting greater and greater as He extended us the, so another day to breathe, another day to live this life in sin and reproaches and iniquity and yet in His love, in his love He sent His 
His Son Jesus Christ to die for our sins. And when we were yet in sin, when we were ungodly, God sent His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. He became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So, so can, can we come to the Lord's table and say, hey, I deserve to be here. I deserve to partake in this blood because I'm a good person. I deserve to take part of, this, uh, of the body that was broken of the Lord because I, I'm good. There, there is no boasting in that place. We only come to that place on our hands and our knees with our face to the ground saying we don't deserve to be here. We don't deserve to partake in the Lord's table. But we have been made worthy by Jesus Christ. And so we come humbly. How necessary is that for the church? You see, our natural course, once we get saved, is to immediately in ourselves, there's awaking, uh, an awakening pride every day that just mounts up on the saddle and takes off. And so we have to constantly be reminded that we are nothing without God. You know, we could probably spend a few hours and we could all come here and parade through this platform and we could all, and we won't, but we could all describe perhaps in some degree what our life was like before we got saved. And you could go on and list all the things that you were involved in and you knew those things were godly and yet you still did them. And yet that was when God loved you. God never loved you because you became righteous. He loved you when you were yet sinner. And so, we would come here and parade and we would say all the things that we've done in our lives that removed us from the face of God and yet, no matter how much sin was there, for all of us, God redeemed us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so when the church in the first century when these people, remember, these people who had shouted, crucify him, give us Barabbas, but crucify him. These same people received the word, were baptized, were added to the church, and immediately they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread. So you see a people strengthened by the word you see a people encouraged by their fellowship. And you see a people humbled by the breaking of bread. Jesus said, in Philippi, or Paul said in Philippians chapter 2 verse 5, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow at things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And what better practice takes place in the New Testament church for us to be able to have the mind of Christ, which is the mind of humility, than to come to the Lord's table. 
You see, in this table we see our submission is pleasing to God, our salvation is proclaimed, our communion is professed, and our humility is preserved. And so we ask ourselves this question, is that, is that something we delight in? Is, is there shame to talk about the Lord's death and His blood? Now certainly the world may not like this idea that that's when we would come around to remember that. But that is something we delight in. Why? Because we know what it means. And we know what it does for us. And so may the Lord help us to be like those believers in Acts chapter 2 and to continue steadfastly. And by the way, I believe that yes, we can do so at the Lord's table, but truly that is a daily duty on our part to remember the Lord's death. I would venture to say that if we begin our days like that, our days would change. If you start your day by remembering what you are, what you were without Christ, now what you are in Christ. If we would start our day remembering that we are nothing without God, I believe that would change us in our walk. And so may the Lord help us to commit to doing those things faithfully.